and these are the stories of the heart of the community in the heartland. This series brings to life the oral histories of journalists in North and South Dakota, newspaper legends who devoted their lives to covering their rural communities. By now, a few have passed on, but all of their legacies endure, and their history is forever preserved in the newspapers they leave behind, as well as through these stories. These episodes are sponsored by the North Dakota Newspaper Association and the South Dakota Newspaper Association. Since the 1880s, both have advocated for the public's right to know and for the importance of newspapers in a democracy. In this episode, we take a special look at the military service of Richard Peterson, who would eventually become editor of the Benson County Farmers Press in North Dakota. He spent one year in Vietnam during the war, from January 1969 to January 1970. This is his story. Well, the Vietnam War was on at that time, and the draft board gave me a couple deferments, I think, and they, and they said, well, we're not going to give you another one. So uh, I knew that I was going to have to go to the Army, and I enlisted. Uh, which I really shouldn't have done because uh, the draft board had been good with me with two time, two, uh, with uh, giving me those two deferments and so now they had to choose someone in my place. Well, I didn't realize how all this was going to shake out uh, or I wouldn't have uh, enlisted. I'd have let them draft me. But the guy that was uh, uh, the the recruiter, the army recruiter told me that if I didn't enlist, I probably wouldn't get to go to officer candidate school. Well, that was uh, not true at all. But uh, I believed him, and uh, that's why I enlisted. And I have regretted that, because it put the draft board in a kind of a bind. And I have apologized to them, too. <clears throat> uh, but. Uh, yeah, I went to the Army, I think it was March 1st, 1967. And uh, I spent uh, time at uh, basic training at um, um, Fort Dix, New Jersey, and advanced individual training at uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama and then officer candidate school in Fort Benning, Georgia, that infantry officer candidate school, Fort Benning, Georgia. And then I spent a year, oh yeah, I, I, I became a second lieutenant then after graduating from uh, uh, officer school and then I was stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina for a year and there I ran a printing plant, which is kind of surprising because we hear that the Army put people in different uh, occupations uh, than what they were normally trained for, but I, I knew all about printing because that's what I did. We did a lot of job printing at the Farmer's Press. And so I ran that printing plant for a year. What kinds of things were you printing there? Oh, it was uh, mostly stuff for the uh, the the military on uh, the the military base. Uh, the 
the, 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 well, the Army runs on paper. They have all kinds of forms that you have to fill out, and one form, that form. So we printed a lot of forms for, I don't even remember what they were. Um, but we'd get these orders to print, oh, so many of this and so many of that and so many of this, and so we did it. And we were supposed to be training the soldiers to, to uh, operate these portable printing plants uh, that were on the back of two and a half ton trucks. But uh, Sergeant Major kept taking our people and they never really got much of a chance to train. It was, uh, it was very frustrating. Uh, and the colonel didn't seem to care about that. He just wanted things to look good. I complained to him several times about it, but nothing ever happened. I, I guess nobody lost their life because of, because of the inability to run a printing press, I guess. So we, we managed to get through it. What were your feelings about the war in Vietnam while you were still stationed in the United States? Well, I thought that it was something that was necessary at that time. And when I was over there, I, I thought that it was necessary too. And in recent years, I've come to believe that it was a waste, a waste of lives, a waste of money. But I didn't think that way back then. Uh, I, I don't know, I, I just came to a different conclusion after looking at all the facts. So you thought it was necessary at the time. Why? Well, the, uh, the, the communists, the North, <coughs> the North uh, Vietnamese communists came in there and did some terrible things. They, uh, they would uh, put people in the ground and run plows over them, cut their heads off. And uh, this was, this was a, a, almost a common thing. Uh, they were really, really uh, uh, vicious. And, uh, but of course, really, it, it wasn't any of our business. Uh, except as humans that we should have really, as humans we should have really stepped in there, but there were too many people, too many lives lost as a result of it on both sides. If they would have taken over uh, and, 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 and gotten control, why it would have been something like China today maybe, because China is evolving. Uh, they're, they're going to become more, uh, more um, democratic, I'm, I'm quite sure. I don't know that North, North Vietnamese would have been any different, would have, I think that the North Vietnamese would have been different than the North Koreans. I, the uh, North Vietnamese are some pretty resilient people. They just wouldn't take something like that, I don't think. But I don't know, it's, that's speculation. Very difficult to tell. My, my feelings on the war in Vietnam did change over the years. 
uh, I had some a good friend who <coughs> whose family was murdered by the by the VC, and that uh, that contributed to my feelings at the time that yes, this is something that we should be doing. I guess nobody will ever know who's right and who's wrong on the deal, but I think it was a terrible waste. So you talked before about the impact that Kennedy's death had on the country. Talk about what feelings were like toward Lyndon Johnson in the 60s. Uh, well, uh, Lyndon Johnson wasn't all that well-liked. Um, he wasn't handsome and vibrant like Kennedy was. He didn't have a family. Um, the, the, feelings of, uh, the feelings about Lyndon Johnson weren't as, as good as the feelings about Kennedy. Uh, Johnson was totally uh, competent, there isn't any doubt about that, but he got tied up in this war and uh, the, uh, the idea that, uh, you, that the United States couldn't suffer a defeat uh, just kept him going and more lives got lost and more lives got lost and Nixon too felt the same way and it was just uh, throwing more lives away just they just couldn't walk away from it like they really should have. So you're stationed in the United States working at the printing plant. When was it you found out you were going to Vietnam? Um. Well, it was toward the end of the first year. I knew I was going to go to Vietnam. That was something that we all knew when we graduated from OCS. Although a few of them didn't get sent there, strangely enough. But I always knew that I was going to be going there. I had no idea what I was going to be doing. I was trained as a light infantry platoon leader, and that's a lieutenant that leads a platoon, a platoon of men in a, in a war zone. Well, I, uh, I never did that kind of work, fortunately. But I would have if I had gotten sent over there. I'd have, I'd have done it. Uh, instead, I got sent to here in the United States, I was assigned to the second PSYOPs group. PSYOPs is Psychological Operations. And uh, <clears throat> in Vietnam, I was assigned to the fourth PSYOPs group, which was located right in the heart of Saigon. And this was, um, this was a very uh, unusual organization. They made the, uh, they, we, uh, our, uh, at first, I was a, a night printing officer at the Force PsyOps group, and we had uh, um, printing presses that ran 24 hours a day, seven days a week, printing millions and millions of leaflets. Oh my goodness, you just, they went out of there by the truckloads, and they got dropped. And uh, <laughs> I guess it was a lot of pollution on the Vietnamese countryside, but I think they did uh, uh, some good all right. 
And then there was another uh, portion of the fourth PSYOPs group that, uh, that, that did uh, other uh, psychological things. And I was involved in that one. After, after being there for about a month, they took me out of that night printing officer and put me in charge of a Vietnamese language magazine printed by the U.S. Army in Japan. Well, actually, the, it, was, uh, it was put together in our, at our fourth PSYOPs group in Saigon, and I had a staff of Vietnamese language people and they, Vietnamese people, and they, uh, they did the Vietnamese portion of it, and we had some, a few Americans that uh, did the, uh, uh, the, the groundwork to make sure that everything got done. And I was in charge of that. And so I was more or less uh, the publisher of this magazine. And it was, uh, it was sent out to 135,000 Vietnamese employees. And it was in color on the front and back and, and center fold. And it was uh, 32 pages, if I remember right. And uh, it, was, it was, back in those days, it was something pretty impressive to see color like that. That would have been 1960, uh, 1969. And uh, eventually these uh, magazines ended up on the black market in Saigon, some of them. But they were given free to these Vietnamese employees and the U.S. government had something like 400,000 Vietnamese employees, if you can believe that. But some 135,000 were, were, were allocated to get this newspaper, not newspaper, magazine. Uh, the, 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 that 400,000 includes uh, the employees of the U.S. government, all branches of the U.S. government, and, uh, and its contractors. And there were a lot of contractors over there, private businesses that were doing work for the military, and, and so those people were uh, eligible to receive the magazine too. And in fact, it was a, a propaganda magazine, uh, very subtle. Nothing really coming out and saying, oh, this is good or this is bad, but it was very subtle and we never did anything that shed any bad light on the Vietnamese government and uh, we tried to give them some slight little promotions in the, in the magazine, nothing, nothing uh, that anybody would really look at. It's just that it was subtle, very, very easy uh, touch. Um, what other type of content was in there? Well, it was stories about, uh, about Vietnamese. It was little feature stories about people that worked for the government, what they did, where they where they worked, and about their families and things like this. Uh, things that everybody kind of likes reading. There was there were some. Oh, I remember a couple stories that we did. One was about these concrete boats. I didn't have any idea that concrete would float, but I guess steel floats. So. Concrete does too. Uh, we made uh, we did a story on these concrete boats, and I thought that was a pretty impressive thing. 
Um, oh, what was another? Oh, yeah, we were going to do a big story on the whale festival at Vung Tau. Or I think it was Vung Tau. So we went down there, and here we found out that the whale festival had been canceled for two or three years because of the war. <laughs> oh, boy. And I got to travel through Vietnam, several different places. It's a beautiful country, very, very nice. Um, one thing that I thought was rather interesting was that they, they had to bury their people above ground because the water table was so high that they, they couldn't uh, dig graves. So they had tombs above ground in a lot of places, not everywhere, but uh, that, that was the case in the Delta for sure. And uh, there were a lot of those tombs in Saigon too, because the, the, that river that runs through Saigon uh, kept the water level really high there too. What was the name of the magazine again? Tong Cam, T-H-O-N-G-C-A-M. And that means mutual understanding. And we had, uh, different stories about why the, uh, uh, the government was doing this or why the, uh, the, or how the employees were doing. And, and uh, I, w I wish I'd have a couple of those so that you could get a look at them, but I don't. I sent them all to uh, the second PSYOPs group in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So they are there somewhere. How much of the content in the magazine did you have control over versus being told you were covering this? I don't remember everybody, anybody telling me to do that. Um, no, uh, we had a pretty, pretty uh, a free hand, more or less. I don't remember. <clears throat> well, the only time that I remember uh, the colonel putting a kibosh on it. It was, we had an American had driven, a, had drawn a beautiful picture of President Tu with the Vietnamese flag in the background. <clears throat> and uh, the, uh, somebody brought it in and showed it to the colonel and he said, no, 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 no. We can't do that, that's no good. Well, I thought this was a, terrible mistake. And so I told my second in command, I said, well, I guess we're not going to be able to run that picture. And he says, I'll see what I can do. And so what he did was he, he took that picture. He was a Vietnamese. He was the editor of the magazine. He took that picture to the President Tu's press secretary and gave it to President, uh, gave it to this press secretary. And the press secretary took it to President Tu and Tu liked it. And so the press secretary wrote this, wrote a little note to the colonel and he says, President Tu says that he will be very happy to see his picture on the front page of Tong Cam. And so, well, then the colonel was stuck. He, <laughs> he had to let us do it. And that worked out quite well, I think, because it was a very good picture of the, of the, of Tu. Uh, but he, he never, uh, that was the only time that I can think of that he 
put the kibosh on something that we were going to do or that he ordered us to do something. Did you ever feel in danger at all when you were there? Well, no, not really. It, it, Saigon was pretty uh, safe, uh, except that uh, the Viet Cong would shoot rockets off and they'd land in Saigon, but Saigon's a big, big town and uh, it covers uh, many, many, many square miles and maybe there would be one or two rockets that would hit at night and kill a few people, but uh, you just had to be in the wrong place at the wrong time in order to get damaged by one of those uh, rockets. There was one that landed across from my uh, BOQ, that's a bachelor officer quarters, the Meyer Cord. It was a hotel that the U.S. government bought and turned it into a place for officers to stay. And it landed across the street from the hotel, but I wasn't there at the time. I must have been either at the, uh, at the printing office or something, I don't know, but it took out quite a few windows. After that, they taped the windows uh, everywhere so they couldn't shatter anymore. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I never really came close to getting hit by one of those things and nobody that I ever knew of did. They, they couldn't steer them, you see, so they just set them off and they knew they were going to land in, t in the city somewhere and you were just unlucky if you got hit by one of those. No, I never, uh, never heard any gunfire even when I was there. It was, a, it was a pretty good job, I'd have to say that. For the Dakota Journalist Podcast, I'm Terry Fenneman with sound editing by Savannah Wakefield. And these are the stories of the heart of the community in the heartland.